Um, you know, as we, as we get ready to worship the Lord in our giving, I want to remind you of something. Uh, when you think back at the whole Holy Week and what happened and what triggered everything, does anybody remember what set? There was a certain act of generosity and devotion that set the whole thing in motion. In fact, it's what caused Judas to be so angry. He got up and he stormed out of the room. Anybody remember what that was? It was when Mary anointed Jesus. She took perfume that was worth an entire year's wages of a normal person's wages. She took that perfume and she poured it, the whole thing, over Jesus to where that perfume was running down his head, down his face, down his body. And isn't it interesting that Judas is there and Judas doesn't see the worth and the treasure in Jesus. All Judas can focus on is the waste, in his eyes, the waste of this precious perfume. And isn't it interesting how a religious demon works? Because Judas cloaks his greed in a concern for poor people. You remember that? He said, this this could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And he's, he's having this little hissy fit. And Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. And he says this, what she's just done is a beautiful thing. And he said, Jesus says, we'll be talking about this forever. What was it that caught Jesus' heart in his eye? It was extravagant affection demonstrated through incredible generosity. What was it that set the demon off in, in Judas? Uh, it was the response to him seeing an act of generosity which caused his own greed and stingy heart to flare up and of course he made his way out and he started having his little meetings with the priest and he started working out the plan to betray Jesus. Aren't you grateful? Jesus takes stingy, greedy hearts, turns them inside out and turns us into people who love him and who are lavish in our affection and our giving for others. And, and you're all that way. I just got to brag on all of us, our, our Living Stones family. Thank you for your big hearts. Thank you for your generous hearts. Thank you for loving people so well. Thank you for opening your homes to bring people in. And Ashley, I love your, your honoring of the Lord. You know, when Ashley came here, she, she would hardly like to hear her own voice. She was so shy, so introverted. She, her, her identity of herself was so poor. Uh, and yet, you know what happened? People just started loving on her. And all of a sudden, she started seeing and believing that she had value, she had worth, and that God wanted to do great things through her. Isn't that beautiful? That, I'm just warning you all. If you make this your home, same thing's going to happen to you. You're going to get loved like crazy. You're going to get turned inside out. You're going to find that people will believe in you, and you'll see things come out of you that you didn't even know were there. That's the treasure that God's put inside of each of us. And so we want to give this morning, and we want to do so with a joyful heart. If you're a guest here to, today, we, there's no compulsion in our, ever in our church for anything. We just move in a spirit of love and grace, and we just trust God that, uh, that he's good, and he provides for our needs. So let's, let's go before him in prayer. Lord, what a privilege it is to just take our ointment, to take our perfume, to take whatever it is that's precious to us, and Lord, to lavish it upon you. You are the object of our affection. You are our heart's desire. You're the one that we love. And Father, we just say in in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, receive our offerings today. Multiply them in your hands. Use them to bless the nations of the world, to bless our own nation, our own neighborhood. And God, do it for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, while you're doing that, I've got a special testimony 
I'd love for my wife to join me and for Daniel to come up here and if my son Joel is still around, uh, for him to come up here. Give them a hand as they come. This, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, we had an amazing celebration on Good Friday night. Uh, that was followed by a time where we encouraged everybody to run into the new foyer. And so many of you, I was pleased, were able to stick around for a while. I know it's hard with little children and things to stay real late, but we had an amazing turnout, and the foyer was, was bustling with people, and here's what we were doing. We were taking our pens and pencils, and we went around, sorry babe, we went around to the walls, and we were writing promises from God's Word all over the, all over the walls. In fact, I encourage you at some point to to get in there before they paint those walls uh, and just see the scriptures. Oh, I thought you were going to say if to write, it should be in pencil. Yes, it should have been in pencil, but I had a pen in my hand. so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pencil preferably, but anyway, no Smarties or whatever, Sharpies. Uh, smarties you eat. Yeah, anyway, I can, I'm all confused. We got scripture verses all over those walls, and then we also wrote the names of people. Because how many of you know Jesus cares about people? And it's not about buildings and drywall and all that kind of stuff. It's about people. Uh, you're here today in this facility, but it's not the facility that we're excited about. It's you that we're excited about. It's people. And so I wanted to share something with you because my lovely wife, in true Marian-esque fashion, the Holy Spirit drops different things in her heart, and maybe you've been the recipient of something like that because she'll be next to me in worship, and all of a sudden I'll look over and I could swear she was raptured or something, but she'll be gone. And, and then I've learned over time, I know where she's at. She's loving on somebody. She's sharing a word of encouragement with somebody. Well, she went up to Daniel. This is Daniel Kennedy, one of our lifelong you know, buddies. He, we, we've seen Daniel grow up in our family. This is my son, Joel. And, um, and you went up to Daniel at the, at the prayer meeting. And why don't you share a little bit about what you whispered in his ear, which made him a mess. Well, I just got excited just asking the Lord for the scriptures and what he wanted me to write on that wall. And I looked over and I saw Daniel and Daniel was worshiping and entering in. I mean, he stayed till midnight and helped us clean up afterwards. And But anyway, I looked over at him and my heart just leapt because my son wrote his name on the wall 13 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. I didn't even, that thought didn't even cross my mind until mom brought that up in first service this morning. Um, yeah, it was probably about 13 years ago or so. We had a prayer night in the, in the youth room, and uh, I made a list of all my friends, and Daniel was the first guy I wrote down. Um, and I'll never forget coming into a youth group service afterwards, and I brought my marker with me, and I went and I checked his name off the wall. <laughs> and it was just such a, a powerful night, but um, yeah, it was just cool to remember that this morning. And Daniel, what was going through your heart? Uh, obviously, reminiscing back, you guys have known each other since elementary school. Yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't know actually he did that either. When he, when he told me, she, she, called, she came up to me and she, she reminded me, and I, was, I, I never knew that, you know, so I, I had no idea, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, it struck my heart so hard because, like, he, he, my whole time growing up, we, we met at football, you know I mean, completely opposite people, and um, it was just so, like I said, you know, in first service, it was just very I can't really explain how, how much it just hits my heart to know that, like, God put a passion for him, like, for me, because there's no reason why we should have been best friends, and, um, and God moved him to just, like, pursue me unconditionally, and, and love me, and, and, and no matter what I did, and so, I mean, 13 years ago, it's, it's been a long time, and it has been a rough track, and I've 
been in and out of church, and I've messed up a lot, but God has always been there, and he's been so faithful in the midst, and he's changed my family, he's restored so much in my life, and, and I'm just so grateful. And now we had to steal you out of children's ministry, because now you're giving it away to a bunch of younger guys, just like you were. Uh, but you're, you've been a, a picture of God's grace and of his faithfulness. And the reason I say that is because how many of you know when you write somebody's name on the wall, and I saw little kids writing names and putting their hands on that name and praying for their friends to come to know Jesus. How many of you know this is powerful stuff? It's real stuff. God sees those names. God sees those prayers. God sees those hands. God sees the person's life that that name represents. And you know what? It might not happen instantaneously, but if we're faithful, there's a lot of names on the walls of that foyer, and I'm believing we're going to see those people walking into this place, worshiping Jesus with us in the days and weeks ahead, because our God is unstoppable, and nothing is impossible to him, and he saves dead people and brings them back to life. Amen? You're going to add to that. Yeah, I just want to encourage you, too, because like Daniel said, it hasn't, wasn't like we wrote the name on the wall. They came to Jesus and happily ever after. It's been a war, and it still is a war. And I wrote his mom's name on the wall, just fresh and anew, you know, just for God to complete the things that he's begun. And I wrote other names on there, just believing God. But I just want to encourage you all, don't give up. Keep believing God because we've had things in our own lives where it's not all perfect all the time. But when it's not perfect, you find the one who is perfect and you say, what now? It is what it is. Whether you tried or you didn't know what you were doing or whatever, it is what it is. I need a savior. Help me, Jesus. And when if it's you pressing in for someone or you need the savior, it's pressing into him and just listening to him and letting him untangle your life. This morning, I'm kind of a word picture person, and I just, I saw, like, the Lord just taking me by the hand with a little Easter basket, taking me, like, he tells us to be like a child, and I just felt like he said, Marion, there's Easter eggs hidden all over. If you'll just go look for them and pick them up and open them up, I just felt like they were promises. They were words of encouragement from my father. He will hide things around, but he wants the fun of us to go look for it. Get up. Know he is a good father, and he wants to bring healing and restoration and resurrection in our lives and in others' lives. So I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you picked up a rotten egg, (laughs) throw it aside and go get another one, because that's not God. He has wonderful things for you and he wants he's still writing our stories huh and so just let god do it be encouraged that he has risen he's alive he knows your story and he wants to continue to write this glorious story so that's why he's brought you to the body of christ because we need each other we all fall short we all need someone to pick us up sometimes and it's so great when you get to be the one to help pick someone else up as well so be encouraged Let's love Jesus together and let him lay those people's names on our heart. Take a pencil and go write names on that wall of ones you want to see God do great things. And you know what? I wrote a lot of those names back up on the wall. These young men, Joel led a whole slew of his friends to Jesus in sixth grade. 
and some of them didn't have a support system or parents to lead them to Jesus, and they fell off the wagon, but they are their gods, and so I wrote their name again because I told Joel, I said, there's going to be a time when those, those young men are becoming men, and they're going to remember Joel Johnson. They're going to remember Joel's family. They're going to remember Joel's church when they're in time of need, and I'm believing we're going to bring more of those men, young men up here. They're not young anymore. They're men with their families that are going to be treasures and trophies for Jesus. That was some good preaching right there. Come on. (laughs) Well, let me close in prayer. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. That was good. That's a good word. That's for some of you. You know, we've been doing a series called Cave Time, and we've been focusing on David's three psalms he wrote in a cave. Well, can you imagine what the disciples felt like, what the lovers and friends of Jesus felt like on Friday night? Can you imagine what Saturday must have felt like? The disorientation, the loneliness, the pain, the agony, uh, all of their dreams seemingly crushed. But how many of you know Sunday was coming? And some of you haven't got to Sunday yet, but I want to encourage you, your Sunday is coming because God is the God who raises dead things to life. And God is the God who brings people out of the darkest pits of life and brings them into resurrection power and hope and joy once again. So if you're still in that pit and it's still Saturday in your life, hang on because Sunday is just around the corner. I want you to get your Bibles open this morning to Ephesians chapter 2 and I want to read the first five verses there. But before I do, let me give a global greeting to all of our partners in all the nations of the world, especially Cambodia and Mongolia. We were FaceTiming our Mongolian friends this morning. Who would, or, or this last week rather, who would have thought that an empty tomb would spark a movement that has gone on for over 2,000 years, that has succeeded in having over you know, billions and billions of, of people being transformed by the power of God? Nations have risen and fallen in the same time frame, but how many of you know God's kingdom is indestructible? We are part of a movement that's taking over planet Earth. Jesus Christ is coming again, and the church is eternal. If you're part of what God's doing, if you're part of his family, you have just become part of something that's going on forever and ever and ever. And God's kingdom, the Bible says, is ever increasing. Can you say hallelujah for that? Which means... This year, God is going to add to his kingdom. This year, God is going to bring new people into relationship with him. Uh, This year, his kingdom is expanding everywhere across the globe. I don't know about you, but I'm just glad to be a part of something that powerful and that successful. His victory is our victory. You know, the promise of Easter is that God has destroyed our greatest enemy. The greatest enemy, of course, that Jesus defeated was death itself. And I'm not just talking about physical death. And let me just put a comma here. I know this morning we have people that this is a heavy Easter on your heart because there are loved ones. There are people precious to you that have already gone on this past year to be with the Lord. This might be a first Easter without people that you know and love. How many of you are grateful that those who die in Christ Jesus resurrect to live forever, that the relationships that we have here on earth are going to be supersized in the next life to come? And that this life is a vapor compared to what awaits us forever and ever and ever. That takes the sting out of the momentary loss of people that we love very, very much. It still stings. It still hurts. But it defeats the ultimate sting. It gives us hope in the midst of our pain. And I hope this morning, for those of you that are in that situation, I pray that 
the supernatural, overwhelming presence of Jesus and the hope of the resurrection just causes your heart to sing once again. But I'm not talking about physical death. Every one of us, that's a reality for every one of us in this room. You are decaying. Hallelujah. Everybody excited. Turn to, the, turn to your neighbor. No, don't do that. Uh, don't turn to your neighbor. Don't tell your neighbor they're decaying. But that's the truth. You are decomposing at this very moment. And anybody that's in their later years can say hallelujah, amen, because you know very well about that. But I'm telling you, even you young bucks, you're going downhill even as I speak. Your glory days are going to end soon. That, I'm not being a bummer. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, you know, physical death is a real thing, and we all face it. But I'm talking to you this morning that Jesus Christ defeated our greatest enemy, which was not just physical death, but it's spiritual death. It's being eternally separated from the God who loves you and who made you to enjoy you and for you to enjoy him. How many of you are grateful that you have hope in Christ that your spiritual death has been taken care of. You're going to live forever with the Lord. Isn't that good? That's what we celebrate this morning. None of that would be a reality if God didn't prove it. And how many of you know the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the most dramatic, crazy, awesome, uh, historical proof known to human beings uh, and undisputed uh, by the facts of the the scenario that the Bible lays out for us. Jesus Christ predicted his death he predicted his burial. He predicted his resurrection three days later, and then he did it. How many of you know, I, I don't want the weight of that ever to numb us or we just gloss over that. That is stunning. How does somebody predict that down to the detail and then predict their own resurrection from the dead? Nobody's doing that. No religious leader can do that. No, no counterfeit uh, savior can do that. The only person that can do that is Jesus, which is why, let me remind all of us, you know, God makes us all differently, right? Some of you in this room are heart gushers, you're feelers, you're, you're intuitive people, you're sensors, and others of you are analytical, logical, etc. I just got to tell you something. The Bible says over and over again, and we touch on this in our apologetics course, that the faith that we have is a rational faith. This is not a leap in the dark. This is when you connect the dots and you choose to believe what the evidence proves. And guess what? When you say yes and you ask Christ and you believe him and you ask him into your life, he begins messing with your head and with your heart. Everything changes from the inside out. But the faith that we have is rooted in history and we celebrate on this very morning the greatest historical event that the human earth has ever known the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. And, and so here's the issue. You know, some, some people might be sitting out there, we're speaking to a, a lost world on Easter Sunday, and like, okay, well, that's great. You Christians believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's nice. That's nice for you. Uh, but what does it mean for me? I want to talk this morning about what it means for all of us. What is the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ? What impact does that have on you and I, especially on our day-to-day practical lives? So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm reading from the, uh, the Message Bible. I love the colorful paraphrase this morning. We're not doing an in-depth study of the Greek. We're, we're giving you the headlines this morning of the greatness of the resurrection of Christ. And I love the way Paul says it. This is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul says this, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired, that is, stuck, entrenched in that old stagnant life of sin. Anybody remember that life? The stagnant life of sin. Let me just say loudly and clearly, 
And that the promise of sin is that your life will become more exciting, more awesome. You'll feel more alive. You'll live on the edge. But how many of you have found that that's an absolute lie from the pit of hell? Sin never gives you life. Sin always sucks the life out of you. Jesus came to deliver us from that old life where we were stuck and mired in sin because sin overpromises and always underdelivers. That's the problem with sin. And this, is, this compounds our stupidity because check out the next verse. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Remember, some of you are probably shopping this week, as I know we were. We've got a, a small dinner of 40 people coming over in a few hours, so we were, uh, we were buying food enough to feed an army for this afternoon. But aren't you glad that when you check out at the supermarket, you get to glean from the wisdom of Hollywood? There you are, you're just trying to buy your hamburger or whatever, and you're assaulted by all these magazines, tabloids, Time, Newsweek, and all the others, and there's the latest, greatest Hollywood face on their pretty face, telling you all about how to be happily married, how to be skinny, how to make lots of money, um, how to be successful in relationships. And people buy those, and they're looking through there, and we got the gossip tabloids. Let's find out about so-and-so's 19th relationship this month, you know? Um, Why do we do that? There's this thing inside of us that says, you know, if I could just marry Brad Pitt. I'm speaking to all the women, just for clarification right now. If I could just marry Brad Pitt, I would be happy ever after, if I could just be a movie star, if everybody just knew my face, if I could just be the latest, greatest, if I could have my own show, if I could be Kim Kardashian, the selfie queen, just take selfies for the rest of my life. Are you people nuts or what? Hollywood is the biggest conglomeration of human dysfunction ever in the smallest square footage on the planet, all right? That's what Hollywood is. Why do we follow the cues of the world when everybody who's trying to do whatever the world says is a cool thing to do, they're always empty and bankrupt and broken at the end? Why do we follow? But Paul says that's exactly what we were doing. We were following the system of this world, which doesn't know, the Bible says, the first thing about life, real life. Look at this next verse. This is so colorful. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. Every time we look to the world, we breathe in polluted unbelief. And look what happens. We exhale disobedience. Is that not the way most of us spend most of our lives? Maybe you're still there. It's crazy how how people will believe in everything but Jesus. People will believe in everything but the fact that God raised his son from the dead and that his son is coming back again. They'll believe in every kind of solution, every kind of quick fix, everything that will make me come alive except the one who conquered death itself. How many of you know it only makes logical sense that if you're looking for life, you better go to the source of life. If you're looking for life, you better go to the only one who has demonstrated in real life the power to defeat death itself. It would make sense that we would go to that person to find out what life is all about. But we don't, and that's the problem. We don't. We keep looking for life in all the wrong places. How about this next verse? We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, 
when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. You know, the beauty of the cross is that it's not that there's some good people and some bad people. You know, I was talking with one of my son's basketball coaches, and, you know, people get fascinated when you go to other places in the world, especially, like, how many of you know most people aren't going to a lot of these unreached countries that we go to? Because they don't have amusement parks there. You're not going there on a yacht. Um, you know, there's no fun day, free time stuff. You're going to places that are oppressed. You're going to places where there's demonic strongholds. And so when my son tells his coach, yeah, coach, can you pick me up? Because my dad's in Pakistan. Most people just do one of these. Like, why is your dad in Pakistan? So when I get back, I went up to him, and this is what he said to me. He goes, don't you genuinely find that no matter, no matter where you are in the world... There's good people and there's bad people. In other words, there's good Muslims, there's bad Muslims. There's good Pakistanis, there's bad Pakistanis. There's good this, there's good, there's good people and there's bad people. You don't, you don't want to know what the politically correct answer to that is? No, there's only bad people. And they're everywhere. The earth is infested with bad people. The cross is meaningless if there's one good person. In fact, there was only one good person, and we killed him. There's only one good person, and we beat him beyond recognition and nailed him to a cross. The cross is meaningless if there exists one person who doesn't need a Savior. The Bible says we're all in the same boat, which means this. Every one of us, without practice, lives for ourselves. We do what we want to do, when we want to do it. Forget you. It's all about me. Am I speaking to the right crowd here? How many of you can honestly say that when you get in touch with the core of your being, the reason that you're unhappy is because it's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about you. It's interesting that when people pursue joy, they pursue their own happiness for their own sakes, for their own self. It's like chasing that butterfly when you were a kid with your bare hands. Every time you're reaching out for it, there it is. It gets away. You never are able to catch it. Happiness seems to be so elusive. Why? Because we inhale unbelief, we exhale disobedience, and we live for ourselves. And the Bible says we're all in the same boat. It doesn't paint a very good picture. But here's the good news. Look at the next verse. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. You know, when Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth, and he said to Everybody watching and to the whole world and to all of us by extension, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We touched on this Friday night. Something supernatural happened. A supernatural darkness came at 12 noon and lasted for three hours. Darkness so dense and so thick that literally it was suffocating darkness. It was darkness that was the blackest black. What was going on? At that moment, Jesus was making an exchange on our behalf. The wrath and the anger and the, ju- the judgment that was due us, Jesus took in our spot and he said, Father, forgive them. What happened at that moment is literally all of hell's fury was unleashed on the Son of God. And for a three-hour time period, we don't know what happened. The Bible just says for three hours there's supernatural darkness. But for three hours, literally all of hell was trying to put out the light of the world, Jesus Christ. There is a divine exchange that took place. The judgment that you and I were due, he took for us. The beating you and I deserved, Jesus took for us. The mockery and the ridicule and the shame that you and I deserved, Jesus took it by way of being spit at in his own face, spit upon in his face. 
God Almighty getting spit upon uh, in, the, in the place of intimacy. When we look at a brother or sister in the face, we talk face to face. That's the most intimate place. Imagine someone coming up to you and spitting in your face after you've been beaten beyond recognition, and that's what Jesus went through for us. Instead, look what happened. This is incredible. Look at what God gives us instead. This is the good news of the gospel. It says, instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, God Almighty embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives, and he made us alive in Christ. He took our sin-dead lives, and he made us alive in Christ. What we would expect is for the hand of God with a righteous rod raised in, in, a, in an act of a justice. That's what we, holy justice, that's what we expect. Instead, we find God's arms wide open, embracing you. I, I just got to tell you, if you're here today and, and you feel very far from the Lord, because of your lifestyle, because of unbelief, because of selfishness. Guess what? We're all in the same boat. But here's the good news. God's not here today because he's mad at you. He's not here today because he's upset with you and he wants to judge you. He's here today because his arms are wide open and he's here to embrace you. Isn't it interesting? Jesus could have died a lot of different ways, but he died with his arms nailed wide open. I think it's to remind us eternally that the heart of God, because of his son, has been opened wide and that Jesus' arms are wide open, not to slap you or to hurt you or to hit you, but to embrace you. That's the love of the Father. I find it interesting in this life that we talk about being alive. We talk about, we think of life in terms of a physical thing. I could tell you this morning that biblically speaking, if you're far from Christ, the Bible says that you're actually dead. You're spiritually dead. You might be sitting there thinking, my heart's beating. I'm breathing. You know, I, I, I drove in a car. I'm alive. I'm, I'm alive. I'm not dead. But if I challenged each one of you to pause for a moment and not to look on the outside of your beating heart, but to look into, inside on your spiritual heart, on the core of who you are, are you satisfied? Are you full of joy? Is your life meaningful? Do you feel fully alive? The answer for most people would be a resounding no. We go through the motions on the outside. We try to look good. We smile. We try to put up our best, our best foot forward, put our best face forward. But we're dead on the inside. We're dead on the inside. We look, for, we look for love in all the wrong places. We look for success. We look for fame. We look for the next promotion. We look for money. Um, some people, you know, we're this, this, this month, by the way, I just want to share this by way of a praise report and give hope to people. You know, this month, our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, which focuses on helping people get free from hurts and habits and hangups, celebrates five years of great ministry this month. Amen. Give the Lord a hand for that. Here's the reality of the situation. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. But some of us turn to alcohol to, deal, to, to make us feel alive. Some people turn to drugs to, for the next high. Some people turn to sexual addiction for the next high. It's amazing all the things that we try to do to give us that momentary feeling that we're alive. Some people are adrenaline junkies. Are there any of you out there adrenaline junkies? My son Joel was an adrenaline junkie growing up. All right, he, His favorite sport of choice was anything that had wheels like rollerblades and stuff. I mean, he would do stuff on rollerblades that I, I was, and I'm the dad. I mean, his mom couldn't even look. It was just too traumatic. But I even as his father, I'm like, son, really, you might think twice about doing what you're trying to do right now on rollerblades. He loved the thrill of conquering the next trick or whatever it was. It's amazing the adrenaline junkies we have in our society today. Some people 
say, man, I'm just trying to come alive. I'm just trying to feel alive. When, when, I'm, when I'm doing this or doing that, it makes me feel alive. Well, what does that mean? That means that there are only momentary bursts when you do whatever that you actually feel alive. Well, what does that say about the rest of your life? That you're dead. And then as soon as you can't do whatever that is that makes you feel alive, you get back to normal and you feel like you're in a coma. You feel like you're on life support. You feel like you're a zombie. I mean, there are people... How many of you, be honest, you know, the baseball season just started. Are there any Cubs fans out there? I know you're out there, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the Cub fans now. Yeah, we'd be bad. Yeah. yeah. Remember the former years. All right. I walked into Centier Bank the other day, and it was covered with Cub paraphernalia. It was, guess what happened? It was the season began. Spring training over. The season kicked off. There was one White Sox thing hanging up there, and it was smaller than... Anyway, here's my point. Some, some people... Yeah, thank you for the pity. I feel it. Some people, their life doesn't, doesn't begin until spring training starts. I know grown men who go into mourning when the Super Bowl ends and there's no football. They go into You guys know what I'm talking about. They, they go into mourning. Whatever sport is your thing, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that makes you come alive, whatever it is that excites you, some people don't come alive until coffee hits their tongue. You know, <laughs> you know no, you're like a zombie. All right, coffee, if, if coffee makes you come alive, I'm just telling you, you are messed up, all right? You're messed up. Some people come alive when there are certain things that delight them. How many you know God, God gave us beauty as a way to awaken our hearts? I got a guy here in the front row who we plucked him out of the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. He's living in my basement. How many of you know that is a shock right there? And Aaron loves to climb mountains. When he's in the mountains, he comes alive. Some people, you just, I know folks just got back from spring break. Some of you head to the ocean because you love the sand and the sun. Ah, oh, I feel so alive. And then when you get in the car to come back home, like depression comes over you. <laughs> Going back to the region, God's country, you know, you're freaking out. Listen, if you need sand and sun to feel alive, I just got news for you. You're messed up. If you need to be on a mountain to feel alive, you're messed up. If you're staring at a sunset and you're, oh, I have this moment when the sunset makes me come alive. That's because you're dead. What happens at nighttime, all right? You, just, you go back to your zombie condition. Some of you come alive because you're in a relationship. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's so cute. Um, but that's just now. Because next month he might not be that cute and he might not think you're cute. And then what happens again? You go back to zombie mode. Oh, but I come alive. Oh, I'm feeling so alive. The, here's the point. It's not that any of these things are bad. It's that they're artificial. It's that they're made to point us to the real source of life. And if we have to go through life on life support, you know, I've talked to people, I've ministered to people who were in a physical coma in a hospital. They're laying in bed. All you're seeing is the, is the little deal going off. They're, they're not talking to you. They're in a coma. 
But I've always heard that people in a coma can still hear, their spirit's still awake. And guess what? I've been in there and I prayed for people that were in a coma and they snapped out of the coma when I was praying for them and they looked at me and their eyes opened and they talked to me and then as soon as their eyes opened, they went back into a coma. I'm just telling you, most people live that way. You're walking through life, you're cut off from God, your spirit is dead, and you, and you experience little foretastes of what life looks like, but they just come and burst, and you grab onto them, and as soon as you grab a hold of them, they're gone. And you wonder, oh, I wish I had that feeling again. Why do people chase the next high, the next drug? Why do people sell all to buy the almighty powder that they're going to inject that's going to somehow change their life forever? Because we're longing to be alive. We're wanting to feel alive. In the core of our being, we're wanting to come alive. But we're not. And we keep chasing these elusive bursts of happiness. But we never end up with full satisfaction. For you, it might be a big raise. It might be job. You know, we got people that are workaholics. It's always the next achievement, the next level, the next this, the next paycheck. Uh, and then you get that paycheck and you find out, you know what? It seems like the, the bills just multiplied and it goes out as fast as it came in. Because money was never meant to satisfy you or make you alive. How many of you have ever had that statement? You know, well, hey, you hear a pastor or somebody say, you know, money will never make you happy. And inside you go, yeah, but I'd like to try. I'd like to try that for myself. Yeah, because you're still standing there with your, with your pork roast, looking at magazines on the checkout, thinking Hollywood's going to counsel you. Wake up! If you lived in Hollywood and you had all that money, then why aren't those people setting the pace for being fully alive? They're not. They're miserable. They're some of the most addicted, broken, hurting people on planet Earth because they're chasing the wrong thing. They're still in a coma. What causes the coma? Unbelief disobedience, selfishness. And guess what? That's who we are by nature, every one of us. Disobedient, full of unbelief, selfish to the core. We got a problem. The Bible says you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and you exhaled disobedience. You know, I took one of these beautiful lilies. The second I sever the lily, it's dead. You're saying, well, pastor, it doesn't look dead. You can put it in water and it'll look beautiful for a week or so. You know what the reality is? As soon as I snap it off, it's dead. The only difference between now and a week from now is the rate of decomposure. I'm telling you, if you're cut off from God, you're dead. You might look beautiful this morning. You might be able to put on a good show. You might live in a nice house. You might have a nice car. You might have a nice family. But you are dead, and the time, time will manifest the deadness of your condition. We're like cut flowers in this world, looking for life, and we'll never find it till we get back to our roots and back to our source, and that's God himself. You know, the Bible says, a popular verse, you all know it, this is one of those refrigerator verses. The thief's purpose, John 10, 10, is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that awesome? The purpose of the Son of God is to bring us to life itself. You know, Jesus made this declaration I am the resurrection and the life. How many of you heard that before? I'm the resurrection and the life. Why is that such good news? Because every one of us is dead, and we need to be resurrected. But it's one thing to be dead and then made alive again, but still have to live this, the life that we lived before we were dead. It's a whole other thing to be resurrected and then be given life. Be, be fused with the one who is full of life, with the source of life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection 
I'm the life. I want to rehearse the story this morning as we close in the time that we have left. It's John chapter 11. We don't have to go there because you know the story very, very well. But Jesus' dear friend, Lazarus, is dead. Or not dead, actually. He's sick at that point. Very sick. And they send a messenger to Jesus. Jesus, hurry up and come. Jesus isn't that far away. He can get there in a matter of hours, probably. Um, but what happens next is, is unthinkable. Jesus stuns our sensibilities. If you love people and you had the power to heal somebody that was your friend who was very, very sick, and people were pleading with you to hurry up, and you love that person, you would do everything in your power to get there as fast as you could, would you not, if you had the ability to change their scenario? Jesus does the unthinkable. He intentionally stays four days in the same spot. Why in the world does he do that? Because he's getting ready to show us a preview of what we're celebrating today. He wants to make sure Lazarus is not dying, but already dead. In fact, not even already dead, but already in the grave, stone rolled over, decomposing. He stinketh dead. How many of you know dead, dead with a capital D? Really dead, fully dead. No questions about dead. Jesus waits three days. I'm sorry, four days. And when he arrives, a grieving Martha meets Jesus with these words, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, she says, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's still full of faith. She knows it's still a comma, not a period on the end of what happened to her brother. I know if you'll just pray, God listens to your prayers and God will give you what what we ask for. Please pray. See my brother healed. And Jesus stuns her with his answer. He says this, your brother will rise again. Martha can't get out of her box. She knows that there's a resurrection coming. She believes Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But she's thinking about the resurrection at the end when God wraps up all of human history. That resurrection, the final judgment, the resurrection from the dead. But Jesus stuns her once again with his, with his words. He says in verse 25, Martha... You don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. I want to drive this point home for us this morning. Some of us wait for the, for the end. We know God can do whatever in the end. Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about the end. Right now, at this very moment, I have the ability to make you come alive. I can heal dead things and bring them back to life. I can take broken hearts and heal them. I can take twisted minds and heal them. You know, in fact, in the weeks to come, and I just want to throw this out as, a, as an incentive to, to come back and don't stop coming if you're brand new here today. Because in the weeks to come, we're going to drill down into the life of Jesus. How many of you know what separates the gospel, the good news, from other religious systems or theologies is not just the proclamation of it, but the demonstration of the gospel. In other words, it's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's another thing to show you the power of God. So check this out. Next Sunday, we're going to deal with broken hearts. Some of you still have wounds. You know, we have encounters coming up, and at every encounter, we deal with broken hearts. I know of people, in fact, uh, there were friends of my son that he led to the Lord, that when they were little, there was rough divorces that took place in their family that really damaged the hearts of these guys. And when they were years later, they were still wounded and hurt and and damaged over what had happened decades ago. This is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus resurrects dead hearts, broken hearts. 
two weeks from now, and I want to throw this out there, you might have somebody that's in a desperate situation physically. We're going to have specific prayer for healing of your body because Jesus heals broken bodies now because he is the resurrection and life now. We're going to deal with healing minds. There's some people that are tormented. There might be some of you in here today, you're tormented. You have anxiety attacks, panic attacks. You have flashbacks. We have veterans that we've run into that have flashbacks of military scenes, difficult situations, uh, 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 post-traumatic stress disorder, some of these kinds of things. Listen, Jesus heals tormented minds. You might say, well, my family member has such and such diagnosis. Jesus heals mental diagnoses uh, where the mind is sick or broken or hurt. Jesus heals broken minds. Jesus restores dreams. Jesus heals identities. Jesus does all these things. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about that. You, know, you guys can go ahead and play a little bit and get worship. We're going to leave here on a worshiping note. You know how this story ends, and I'm just going to be quick here. Jesus gets to the tomb. He says, roll the stone away. They beg him, please don't, Jesus. Please don't, Jesus. They know the smell is going to be horrific. There's a decomposing body in that tomb. But they relent. They roll the stone away. And Jesus gives the most powerful words to separate him from any human being. He speaks to a dead corpse, four days dead, and says, Lazarus, come forth. And I can only imagine in the seconds that followed that declaration what that must have been like. As everybody's standing looking at the cave and looking inside to see what's going to happen. And the picture next is awesome. Out comes Lazarus, wrapped from head to toe in grave strips, stumbling as he is like a mummy, walking out there at the, at the command of Jesus to come alive. Here's the good news today. Jesus, only weeks later, came alive. That was a preview of his movie, made-for-TV movie called The Resurrection. That was Lazarus, preview. But Jesus came forth out of the tomb and he came alive. Here's the the extension, the opportunity that I'm giving to you this morning. The offer that comes from the heart of God. If there's an area in your life that's dead or dormant or trapped or mired in sin or stagnant, Jesus wants you to come alive today. If you've never bowed your head to the Lord and recognized him as the risen Savior and your King and your Lord and your Messiah... Guess what you do? You just say, yes, 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 count me in. I want to know Christ. I, I want to follow him. I want to be made alive. It's as simple as that. It's the, it's the greatest news on planet earth. Jesus' arms are, are outstretched. He's waiting to embrace you. I want our pastoral team and our elders to come up front. We want to minister to people today. You don't have to wait for two weeks. If you need a miracle in your body today, Jesus makes dead things come alive. Come on forward. If you're tormented today, come on forward. If you're far from the Lord today, come on forward. But I want to pray right now. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And let's just bless this day. Set it apart for the Lord. As we begin singing, if you need to leave, feel free to slip on out. Have an amazing celebration today. We love you. And we pray that the day would be rich in every way. But Lord, I pray right now that those that are dead on the inside, we say in the name of Jesus Christ, come alive to your purpose. Come alive to Jesus. Come alive to a new identity. Come alive to life itself. Come alive. Lord, let the power of the Holy Spirit resurrect things that are dead today. Dreams, visions, identities. 
purpose, emotions, dead hearts, Lord. Dead people that are far from you, Lord, we cry out to you today. Resurrect us. Make us come alive. In Jesus' name. You know, if you need prayer, just slip out right now. We're just going to worship our way out of here. I encourage you to, uh, as we're done, if you want to mosey on through the building and see, or maybe write some of your own names on the walls, you go right ahead. But um, but let's just rejoice in what God's doing today. And if you need prayer, come on down. Let's worship Him.